You are listening to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsor, MSP Ignite. MSP Ignite offers a peer group experience that is unique to managed service providers in the technology industry. If you are serious about implementing a model for success through sharing and collaboration of best practices, this is the best way to do it. Head on over to msp-ignite.com to get more information. All right, on to the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined again this week by Eric Hansen of Inland Productivity Solutions. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Well, thanks for having me back again. Back again. I, I think that when someone has a good idea for a podcast, ignoring it would fail our audience. So in this particular case, the voicemail you left me was to the effect of talking about the, the burden of risk sort of being balanced by insurance. It was a good I'm saying this is a good segue from two episodes leading up to this one, which were all tied to, do I know what my cl my client risk is? What's the risk to me as an MSP from a just good business? And then part two was we had the conversation around when I'm onboarding new clients, what types of risks am I willing to accept in this onboarding process before I feel that their scorecard puts them in a position of not being dangerous at best? Um, catastrophic at worst. Right, right. Well, I mean, when you first start talking to somebody, you know, uh, if they're worth a quote unquote good or decent MSP and they've just got a uh, difference of opinion or, you know, for whatever reason, the relationship's falling apart. I think that's different than when you go into some place where, yeah, we just kind of been figuring it out on our own. Right. And, um, you know, here we are. And, you know, I have, I have one of those opportunities in the next, uh, the next week or so we're supposed to go do a, go and look at it. And it's like, I'm already scared. You right. don't have cyber insurance and you need to do CMMC. We got a pretty big bridge we got across here. And how well, do we get across that bridge without creating undue risk to our organization? Well, I think that's I think that's the kicker. So let's 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 break this down into two parts. One is I have insurance for my MSP, what that feasibly should cover, not necessarily in the world of the insurance company has decided it for us, but what we believe it either covers or should cover. And then I think there's the second part of the conversation, which is my clients don't even know how to have this conversation with me because I asked about insurance. Like, oh yeah, we have insurance. But may I are, may I see it, please? And when I say the word cyber insurance, do you assume that it's just the insurance policy you already have, or do you actually have something that would constitute being categorized as cyber insurance? So going back to that first one, um, I think this has been an ongoing discussion. It has been an ongoing um, topic, even if it wasn't the title of an episode for the past thirty plus episodes. There has been a it has come up. So help me out because you started the conversation when you hit me up in voicemail and say, let's talk about this. It got me thinking, but I think you've got more of where this needs to go. So I'll start with you leading this as I should have at the beginning. Yeah. Uh -oh. 
Wait, uh, I get to drive? No. Yeah. Wait, hey, you didn't tell me. I didn't bring my driver's license That's or right. my insurance card. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, it, with the events that we've had in the recent month, month and a half, because, you know, I don't want to point out a vendor because God forbid it could be our vendor tomorrow. But, you know, with, with what happened with the Kaseya situation, uh, you know, any of these guys and, and I actually, it turns out I personally know at least one that was, uh, that was affected. There's, there's no way they have enough insurance. There's just no way. Yeah. There's you know, a phrase go, that comes to mind. My enemy's enemy is my friend. <laughs> like, yeah, I might not have said that right, but that's kind of what we're seeing happening right now. Right. Like this may not be a vendor that I necessarily cared about or was friends with, or even wanted to ever use. But the reality is what pieces of what happened to them isn't, going to happen potentially to somebody else that I do care about. Right. 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 No, for sure. You know, the, every, everybody who's, you know, running a ConnectWise product or Synchro or, you know, you, you name it, it doesn't matter who, who the name is. They've all got bugs. Yeah. We could, we could and, call it the six degrees of, uh, Thomas, uh, I'm totally drawing a blank. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's the one degree of, they, they kind of VSA. Yeah, they all kind of run upstream to somebody else's acquisition or investment. Or uh, this is what I've said to everybody. I could care less who owns who. Um, these APIs that are getting used, who's writing them and who's checking them? Right, right. And yeah, and who's securing them? Sure. Because, you know, if I, if I want to, you know, say I'm writing something, I can call up ConnectWise and I guarantee they'll just hand that API information right over because, yep, we want everything to connect to everything. Well, so rewind back in the day, I used to use a, a, a PSA much like you did and I'll, I'll steer clear of what product it was. But I remember the amount of efforts we put into writing our own scripts to connect to certain portions of our PSA. And some of those scripts later went on to be those were available and suddenly are, I can get them from ConnectWise and we built those originally for our own internal use in our on-prem instance. And we do this, we see this elsewhere, right? The cloud space. Well, if I cram what was on-prem into my cloud instance, then I'm covered because the tool works in both places. Therefore I should use the tool. And I realize that we're going off on a tangent, but I think it has a lot to do with insurance because if the insurance company doesn't know the, the reach that your products and services have that you've called your own that are inside your company's instance, this is where I started thinking about it over the weekend as it pertains to what will my insurance cover versus what they're going to indemnify themselves from because they're going to say, no, 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 no. That's where that product, which got put into the equation and we can't help you there. Yeah. Yeah. That this product ends here or our right. responsibility for this product, you know, ends here and, and you went past here. And I think we have yeah. to remember that with any vendor that there is a level of responsibility that they have, but how far it reaches, most of us have never asked the question. So shame on us. And even if they're insurance, or even if they do go even in the ballpark of where we think they should, is that still shame on us? Because 
we're responsible for what we put into our own environment, no matter how much we trust the vendors' products we bought. Oh, sure, sure. I, you know, it's at, at the end of the day, the you know, you have the same problem for customers. You know, they hire us to take care of their stuff. Right. But at the end of the day, if their stuff gets encrypted or stolen, you know, uh, is is sent off to to the dark web for the viewing of all the quality people who are looking for that. Um, at the end of the day, it really is their problem. Right. You know, they're going to make it our problem. Right. But at the end of the day, it's their business problem. And this is one of those areas where I think, and this was kind of the, the genesis of that call, I think, was, you know, we're now going to clients and, you know, if you don't have cyber, maybe you don't need to be a client. It's, uh, uh, it's no I, to hold because them, you no don't to under, them. right. Well, and, you know, you, Mr. Customer, don't really understand your risk if you're not, if you are saying, well, yeah, I don't think I have it, but you've done the analysis. Well, okay, maybe you think you don't have that risk. Um, you apparently don't use the internet. Um, <laughs> Um, or live in the modern world, you know, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's true. Maybe you're running QuickBooks, you know, 96 on, uh, or I guess they didn't even have years on it back then. Right. I think QuickBooks. Or, or, uh, was the yeah. One. Primavera P6, I think has been around since what, 2004. Well, Hey, but I can get that to run on windows 10. So that is a modern product. Um, it's been modernized. I think that's like where you swap out the eight track player for a CD player. I think that's that modernization piece. Still looks the same on the outside. There you go. I can make it look like whatever. That's you right. Want. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's it's something that I think MSPs really need to come to grips with much sooner than later. You know, especially with the stuff we we're seeing with with. Uh, you know, Travelers seems to be the one that keeps getting called out because right. they've been the one going out and canceling people and and sending out, hey, you must use multi-factor authentication on your switch that right. doesn't know how to do that. Okay, so you hinted at the client <laughs> part. We've hinted at the client side of this a lot because I think it is fundamentally part of the, the, the me MSP part. I, I'd like to touch on for, for a minute, as an MSP, let's just say I've got 100 clients. And I think the reality is if I think about an insurance company insuring the MSP, it's not necessarily all about the verticals that those clients are in. It's really about the model as an MSP that you have in place that say, say steps through that says under no circumstances, am I going to take that sensitive client or that um, risky client and have it compromise what I've worked so hard for with my portfolio of clients. So I think right. you could go and sit with your insurance broker or an insurance company, and depending on what you can produce as far as evidence on how you run your business and how you secure and manage your clients, that there's a level of assurance that that insurance company is seeing going, hey, this is, this is what I want in our portfolio of who we're insuring because of what they can't predict the future, right? But they can at least say, right. This looks sound. At least they're trying pretty hard. Right. Because you hinted at the, maybe I should not even consider this because they don't know what cyber insurance means. And then you brought up the whole questionnaire of like, 
2FA on the switch and some of these other things that aren't even physically possible that, you know, makes me think we should be contributing more to the conversation. But what I'm concerned about overall as the MSP and looking at this is going, what should we be getting insured for? Are we an insurable industry to begin with, considering the way we're targeted? Like, like is, is there hope for this? Yeah, well, you know, I think we have to think about or, or understand, you know, what, what are the limits of this cyber policy? You know, at the end of the day, I can't buy enough insurance to cover your risk, right, Mr. Customer. You need to cover your risk, and you need to understand that no matter who your, your IT services company is in, is we're all in this together. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all in this together, and it doesn't matter who that IT company is. Well, I would argue to a degree it probably does matter a little bit, but you know, it doesn't really matter who that IT company is. They have risk. Certainly, yeah. some are far more risky than others. You know, the 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 uh, IT companies that are not, you know, following best practices internally. You know, right. it's such a colossal pain in the butt for me to even log into a workstation in my office now. You know, it's like, well, why do you do that? Because I have to. Yeah. And, and I don't know that that even protects me from the risk. You know, if there's some weird SQL injection attack that happens to be exploited against my RMM, you know, have right. all the all the things that we've done to mitigate it, minimize the risk. Well, well yeah, but it. Still, all it did was minimize the risk. It didn't make it go away. Um, so, so there's a spend tra- a spend trend happening. Twenty twenty one, eight eight percent budget more, or, or an eight percent increase in budget will be allocated to cybersecurity and operational security uh, in in literally every vertical because of recent events. One of the things I was curious about to get your thoughts on is, is that enough? Is are we doing sort of the same thing again where we're like, I'm willing to part with, you know, 4%. That's what feels okay to me um, because they're still using that mindset. Like it's not ever going to happen to me. me. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm too know, small. I'm not interesting. And, and so I, I look at this through two lenses. One, I saw a statistic that was showing the top three most heavily hit industries were, um, uh, education, healthcare, and well, those were the top two. And then the third, I can't remember what the third one was, but those were the top two. And I'm like, okay, that's a no brainer. Um, then you look at like an increase in 8%. And I'm like, well, those are two verticals that don't have 8% to spend on security in the first place. So uh, they still, but they need to find it. Right. Absolutely. And, I, <laughs> and, and it, it kind of comes back to this whole thing that says, Okay, if if I am the one that is that risk to the MSP, am I going to be able to get an MSP here in the near future if we can't, you know, at least to your point, participate as this is a joint effort? Because then I think it's less about money on my part, spending, and more about the education on my part and the spend on your part in some cases. Like you've put the effort in to to say we're this is the stack you're, you're buying and maybe it doesn't change my cost a whole lot from what i'm buying from you but if i'm not recognizing appreciating and allowing you to actually 
put that stuff into my environment, truly control it. Not the, well, Chris said he's got to be, you know, admin profile because, you know, he can't be logging into two different instances. That had to spend on my, (laughs) that wasn't a cost that I had to spend money on. So in this 8% of budgeting, I started thinking about budget allocation based on FTE resources being consumed to educate, which is where I feel like is failing right now. So MSPs feel the strain of educating me as the customer. And yet it's not your responsibility to educate me. It just seems that you're the only ones out there that are equipped to educate those of us that need those services. Well, sure. The, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, I think a lot of customers don't know they need those services, you know, don't, don't understand they need that education. And I think a lot of MSPs are not spending enough effort there. You know, we've been over the last, I'll call it 10 years, Yeah. you know, so engineered by vendors and, you know, pick, yeah. pick whoever you want the devil to be. Um, we've been so ed- educated by vendors that, well, you need to do this because you need to be at this utilization number. You need this, you need that, because this is the only way your business is worth anything. And, you know, and everybody's plan is an, is an exit plan, you know, two years from now. So is that the insurance question? Like, because I feel like, why is that not being asked on my insurance form? Like, Hey, has your staff gone through cybersecurity training in the last year? Question mark. Yes. No. I have, I have seen that question a couple of times, Okay, but it is not every place. Which then um, leads to, do you educate or do you make sure that your clients are being educated on their cybersecurity responsibilities, if nothing more? Right, right. So, you know, in our case, we do. If we can get them to do it, we do it. And we do right. it live. You know, we go out and there's nothing beats the, you know, going out and, and sitting in a room with people. And, you know, that way you can see when somebody's not getting it. And all of our larger clients have had at least one in-person, you know, hour with no more than 15 people or so yeah. in a room at a time. Uh, even, if, even if we have to do the same, same dog and pony show, you know, three, three or four times. times. Even, yeah, right. however, many yeah. Times, yeah. However, however many times it takes. Um, because at the end of the day, there, I can't buy enough technology, just like I can't right. buy enough insurance to cover their risk. Right. I can't buy enough technology to ensure that it will never happen. It, it's funny enough. I did a, um, I did a professional development, uh, a few months back. It was like right before school got out for a bunch of teachers. And I, I gave the presentation on password vulnerability and the importance of, of better passwords. And I was leading up to why multi-factor is important. And like, this is coming, you're going to have to do it across a lot of different things, even if you're not on some things now. And man, I got so much pushback until I pulled up my favorite crappy passwords used in this this year. So I show all these passwords to them and I got all kinds of laughter in the room. And I did it, I did this session like four or five times. Laughter every time. Then I go, these were your passwords that were compromised. They're like, wait, what? Like, yeah, these passwords, I didn't like go like look up your password. I don't even have that kind of power. I literally went and found the, on the database that was leaked on the dark web that these are passwords that are being used in this environment. Man, it was crickets. And then they're like, 
we had no, what, what do we do? And so to your point, like, but where's the burden of responsibility? Because you said it, it's a shared opportunity. And so right now what I feel is happening and correct me if I'm wrong, our insurance companies are asking questions, but they're not providing guidance. Because I don't think they have the answer. I think right. what they're doing is they're looking, they're looking at their loss runs and going, okay, well, it looks like this thing would have prevented it. If they'd had multi-factor authentication on their terminal server that was directly exposed to the internet, then this terminal server wouldn't have been compromised. So I'm going to add that to my list of requirements. You must sure. have multi-factor authentication. So if there was multi, you know, and and you know, if if it's if one one piece of multi-factor authentication is good, then more must be better. Right. So um, I, I want to ask a question then right there before we transition to say more looking at the client side. If that's the case and MSPs are burden, burdening with how much insurance to carry, how much will they even be covered regardless? Is it not a, a fair question to say, hey, why are the insurance companies at this point not willing to get MSPs in a room start asking questions and say, hey, these things are happening. Can you help us understand so that we can write the right questions with the right writers to help you be successful? Because at the end of the day, while we don't want to pay out claims, you also don't want to spend more on a policy that you're not going to get paid out on anyway. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's like all insurance uh, I don't ever want to ha actually have to use it. I'm not happy paying for it, but I really don't ever want to have to use it because there's going to be some. We have an industry right now, though, that says, I have an insurance policy for that. By and large, yeah. how many times have you heard another MSP say, well, that's why we have insurance. I'm not buying more technology because my insurance policy will help me rebuild in the event that that happens. I hope right. they're leaving that part out. I hope. Yeah. 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 And, and hope is not a strategy. Um, but yeah, the, um, to think, you know, as a, as an MSP to think, well, I got insurance for it. It'll be okay. Sure. I think is, is really uh, just kind of burying your head in the sand and, uh, not productive towards what you're what you're trying to do um the you know having that voice uh with the insurance companies is difficult because an underwriter can't actually talk to an insured in most cases because the underwriter isn't licensed as an insurance agent and so the underwriter can can't have that direct conversation sure. with even with us, you know, even if even if they're not the underwriter for whoever our our insurance is written. So with. so basically, the in between is where the conversation has to start because it can't be a direct conversation based on the way insurance is currently structured. Yeah, for legal reasons, the, right? You know, it's not structured and that way. And I kind of get that too. Like the, the number of times that I've actually wanted to have a conversation with the actual underwriter has been nil because they're taking their input from whether or not their um, the agents are making good recommendations for who they should cover. 
Um, well, they're doing that and they're, they're looking at loss runs. Okay. What are we paying? You know, we, yeah. we were involved in a recovery, uh, three years ago. Yeah. That, that I was frankly stunned at what the insurance company was willing to pay for. I was, oh. I was, I was shocked. And I don't think it would go down the same way today. Yeah. Right. It, it would look completely different. You know, we did the incident response. We wouldn't be doing the incident response now. Right. You It'd know. be a forensics investigator. That's probably different from the company that's providing SOC services. That, I mean, the list goes right. on and on and on. Here's your legal team. They are being assigned to you because we're the insurance company and we're telling you what to do. Right. Right. Yeah. You're, you're now a passenger on this ship. So, so along those same lines, I actually went through almost the exact same thing. Client has no insurance to cover this. They call their, um, the recommended insurance company and literally were dictated to and rolled out an entire like army of people that they're paying out of their ears, nose, wherever they can get money to come out of to, to go through and investigate this, this ransomware incident. They're spending money hand over fist on technology and services right now to solve the unsolvable. So I'm now spending all my time trying to help them understand that no, we're, this is about reduction in risk, not remediate or not removal of risk. And they're really struggling. They're grappling with that going, but wait, all this happened and it could have been avoided. I'm like, you're right. It could have been avoided, but we don't know if it was avoidable. Could have is not the same as avoided, right? Like, right. Did you do enough? What it could have. No, right. What it could have should have. <laughs> Hindsight's always 2020, right? So as we segue to the client part, which is where we get the most resistance, what's the, like, what's your, what's the, like, we talked about this a little bit. How do we help the client with this, grapple with this insurance decision or recognize that the decision that they've made isn't necessarily going to help them with where, you know. With what their the actual behavior. risk is? Yes, with the behavior. Um, well, I, you know, I think that a part of that is for us acting as professional IT service providers, you know, we need to be a making it a requirement that there is some mitigation of their risk and, and educating them to understand that, you know, look, your risk is different than you perceive it. You know, to think that I have an IT company, doesn't matter who it is, they've got it all covered. Yeah, is is silly, um, but they don't you know they don't really recognize that because that's how it's always been you know until we really started to see this uptick in in ransomware and you know dare dare I say um, uh, things that are beyond ransomware right. you know like like oh geez the word is completely escaping me that I'm looking for um, but. Uh, you know, as soon as they're exfiltrating data, right. now they got your data. You know, we got one, we had one where we thought that had happened, and they would add, had actually only harvested. You know, oh look, I got this many SQL databases, and I got this many Word yeah. files, and I got this many Excel files. Not that they had actually taken them, but that they had encrypted them. Um, you know, today, you know, we know that they're getting in there. You know, if they get in there. They're going to spend some time poking around, figure out what's there, move, potentially move that interesting data out so that they've got an additional lever 
to use to make sure that you pay for the hostage to get your kids back. Well, it's not um, that your data is very valuable by itself, right? It's when my data gets combined with your data and all of a sudden they're looking at a, a footprint that goes, wow, Chris knows the same people that Eric knows. And we pulled these from two different databases and now we're able to mesh them together. Now we're able to use that as a way to circumvent because there's a trust factor when I communicate uh, as if I was one of those people that the person I'm targeting has no idea that they're not being targeted by that actual person. Right. And that's a very small example of what's a much larger, like the LinkedIn database being compromised the way they described it with what was in it. Yeah. That's all data that we have available publicly on LinkedIn, but you know what? You can't get to it without using a search in LinkedIn. Now you have a database that you can run a thousand different queries any way you want against the data to find things that have nothing to do with what LinkedIn's actually focused on tracking, but now you have access right. to it. Like I remember the uh, Facebook had their API where I think now there's a widget or a thing in Facebook where it'll tell you when there's friends near me. Well, mm -hmm. 10 years ago, I had a colleague of mine, he wrote a script for fun for, for college that allowed him to literally do this little pop-up on the screen and it would tell him everybody that, that he knows and he could peck, pick a distance away from where he was standing. Facebook shut that down real quick because that was not how they wanted their database to be used. More importantly, they didn't want people to know that that level of information was accessible through the API on the back end. Right, right. And that they were, yeah, that they were collecting all the pieces of Humpty Dumpty to be able to do that. So last question on so. the client side that I think is even circles back to the IT side. Do you think it's something realistic in our near future to see where as an MSP that you could have somebody or multiple people on your staff be trained like they would as an insurance agent? Like if you think about it like PCI compliance, there's different levels of registered PCI implementers and PCI, like that we could see something along those lines to help both the MSP, their clients, and the insurance companies, all three be successful because no one wants ransomware to happen in that circle of that triangle. Um, but the reality is there's pieces of what needs to happen that are very difficult to get to because of the current structure in our legal system. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think there's, I think there's a couple of, couple of problems. You know, what are the barriers to entry to this business? I, I you know, I, there aren't any. Right. Uh, that, uh, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. You probably, you know, need to have a car. couple of grand, couple of grand on a car. Yeah. And a laptop. You know, I, 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 I got a lap, I got a laptop and some business cards and a car. And I got a um, you know, CD binder I, that's got all my password cracking tools for Windows. Right, right. And, and all of my um, uh, unsavory software. That I can't yeah, my pirated <laughs> Windows keys. Yeah. Right, right. Those, uh, yeah, unsavory, unsavory, unsavory. Windows keys. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one, Microsoft hasn't found out this one's getting activated all over creation. Sure. Yeah. Right. I can't tell. Right, right. Um, you know, that I think to some degree that piece has gone away, but I mean, you know, it goes to the professionalism in our industry. Sure. And, and how does an end user, uh, customer sure. know? Right. You know, well, yeah, guy seems competent enough, makes everything work, must be okay. Um, doesn't mean that, you know, they're, they're doing everything the way they should be. And, and, you know how many how many places still are running unlicensed 
you know, copies of, of operating systems or yeah. office applications because, well, yeah, the guy put it on there, you know. Well, let's even uh, use the argument that it's not the, the the unsavory scenario. Let's look at it through the lens of, you know, I have that application that hasn't been updated because there is no update. You know, we're right. running Windows. I mean, like there's all these things that are on both sides of this fence, if you will. You, yeah. The whole thing. I've been seems, running this because it's worked for the last yeah, 15 years. It goes back to two things. One, the education piece. And then the second piece is you said it. If you are, if you and I are two MSPs and we both walk away from the same client, we need the other eight MSPs that they're going to call next to also walk away. Because if they're not willing to walk away, we end up repeating the process of having bad scenarios playing out over and over and over again because no one's willing to say no to money. That's essentially what it boils right. down to, right? <laughs> I'm saying this well, headache's uh, worth it for the amount of money you'll write me a check for. But oh, by the way, don't change anything in my environment. I'm happy with the way things work. You're a checkbox. I need to be able to call somebody when I can't print from my home computer. You know, right. that's it's operational right. IT. Well, Right. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, as, as much as I would like to think and, and uh, be on the side of, you know, what the, the deal that uh, Carl's doing. Yeah. Uh, that Carl, Carl Palachuk's doing, doing with the, the uh, what is it? The national association of it service providers trying to get a little bit of uh, play with the, legislators so that we don't get some crazy legislation that is untenable for everybody. Um, you know, there will always be the 20 year old kid that, you know, is a trunk, you know, what we, <laughs> what Arnie Bellini a billion years ago called a trunk slammer. Um, you know, it, they're just driving around fixing stuff. And those guys will always be around. I was, I was at a networking event, Wednesday talking to a guy who's, you know, I, I, I know what his business does. I've gone and looked at it. I've gone, Oh hell no, I'm not sure. touching that. But I you think know. trunk slammers is a, is somewhat of a badge of honor for those that truly are good at what they do, because I call them, I think the, I think a trunk slammer in the way Arnie was referring to it is someone who is getting paid to fix the here and now. But I think that there's the other side of it, and I call it the lifestyle MSP. So as long as I, you know, maybe I have three clients, but if I'm making $185,000 a year and I'm doing a good job with those clients, I don't necessarily need to be, right? The problem is when, from the client perspective, I think is the critical piece is what happens if hit by bus? What happens if ransomware? What happens if, you know, you took the whole thing out of the equation all at once because it was one person. Yeah. Um, so I dealt with one of those like eight months ago. Right. So I, he wasn't hit by a bus, but he dropped dead. He was it. I, I probably know who you're referring to, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so to wrap this up though, you bring up something that's really important. I'd love to hear feedback uh, both, you know, off the show and on LinkedIn, um, this the idea of the National Society of IT Service Providers, our Carl Polichek has gotten heavily involved with it. Um, there's other vendors that have gotten involved. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about it. Um, Eric, is there anything else that you think that the uh, audience, that our members need to hear 
with regards to this cyber insurance that we all desperately want to understand when, when we need to get the payout, but really don't want to right. understand any more than that check that's being written when it's not a payout, <laughs> you know? And cause it's more than about education. It's more than our responsibility to educate the client because they've been buying insurance for cars and everything else for years. How right, is it that they're missing the boat on this right now? Because they don't understand the risk. And I think, there it is. and, and, and a, the, the end client, you know, you're, whoever you're supporting, they don't understand the risk unless they've been down the road. So we've got a couple of clients that understand the risk now. Uh, right. But, you know, unless they've Funny been down that road. Funny how fear and ransom are a really good combination <laughs> to give somebody uh, an open purse. A, a wa- yeah, yeah. A wake up call that, hey, you know, maybe I do need to spend this $5,000 or what, you know, whatever it turns out to be for, in their instance. Uh, you know, small and medium business. It's, yeah, it's money and nobody likes to spend it, but it's not that much money. And same goes for for us in the IT service provider space. You know, I think we need to have a good understanding of just what is that policy going to help with? God forbid we have to make that call. Um, Because, you know, it's not designed that policy is absolutely not designed to cover your customer's risk. Right. It is, it is designed to cover your risk. And while you can t- you know, go to your customer and say, look, I'm going to do everything I can to minimize your risk. Right. Or everything that I understand how, how to do to minimize your what risk. What I'm aware of. What I'm aware of today yeah. um, to minimize your risk um, doesn't mean that I didn't miss something. Uh, but that minimization of risk, you know, you can only go so far and you need to understand and make your customers understand, you know, look, this is not a, not a risk we've ever had in business. You know, five years ago, we weren't having this conversation. Hell, two years ago, we weren't having this conversation and we should have been. Uh, but all, that's when all the insurance companies were really learning about, okay, what's this take to recover from? You know, now now they've got much better stuff in hand to to deal with it. Right. But you know, that's a one time event. I'm pretty sure when you go back to to renew that policy or shop that policy someplace else, and ah, have you had a cyber event and was there a payout? Once they yeah. get that loss run, that's going to be an ugly number because the margin on the insurance is continues to shrink and it's right you know it's it's shrinking awfully close to there's not enough meat on the bone which means either the insurance companies exit the business or it gets a lot more expensive than i'll give i'll give one other example before we close this out that's right along the lines of what you're saying so i had insurance i won't name the carrier this is back first first few years of me running my own company we got sued based on the delivery of a product that failed to meet some imaginary deadline that no one knew about. And after the lawsuit had been filed and we got the phone call saying, hey, we're suing you uh, or else kind of thing. They literally said, I don't understand why you're not just calling your insurance company to pay the insurance claim of saying that this had happened. And we're like, because we didn't do anything wrong we don't want to not be able to ever get insurance again because we paid this out. This was 10 years ago. Like this isn't any different. It's just a different category. And we've got to come to the grips with the fact 
that you don't want to use it just because it's there. <laughs> just because you have it. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. And, and uh, you know, the the fear of litigation, I think, you know, there are certainly industries where, yeah, we just litigate everything. Let's write a contract, but it'll be meaningless. We'll litigate it anyway. So funny enough, this is running longer than a normal episode. Surprise. Um, I want to throw this out there too, because we're talking about it. There's always the possibility in a ransomware event or some sort of like hacking event, data compromise, you name it, that you could incur civil penalties or have litigation carried out against you from a client. What's really interesting that's just came out in some state legislation, uh, Ohio, Utah and Connecticut have all passed state laws saying you've got safe harbor as a business if you can show alignment with CIS version eight. So we talk about the amount of money you can spend on technologies and tools and the things that we can do to educate our clients or even internally educate ourselves. If you can prove compliance and you're in those three states, obviously great. I would argue that if you do it and you're not in one of those states, there's a good chance that by the time, God forbid it happened to you, I would be shocked if we don't see a lot more states come alongside real quick and adopt those, uh, adopt that same, uh, that same law. Yeah. Well, no, I think, I think there is um, legislation and, and laws coming to this industry way faster than anybody thinks. Uh, yep. you know, I would, I would think Finally. we will be, we will be a regulated industry in some way, shape or form in nearly every state within the next two years. So Eric, as and an frankly, MSP, we should be. Yeah. As an MSP, Eric, uh, we should talk offline. Uh, I've got some products and services that can help you with your CIS version eight compliance. For those of you that are listening. <laughs> yep. That was a plug. Uh, I'm not saying I even have the bandwidth, but I'll let you know if you want to have a 15 minute or 30 minute conversation on some resources on where to get started, you know, shoot me an email, chris at pinpointsolutions.com. I'd be happy to share with you what little I do know to get you started. I'll tell you why CIS 8. It's sequential. It doesn't start at some random control. It will walk you through it. It's probably one of the most uh, widely shared resource out there. It's not behind cloak and dagger. You got to pay money to see it. Um, So that's a wrap on MSP 1337. This has been a great episode because I have, again, Eric Hansen of Inland Productivity. For those of you listening, thanks and have a great week. Thanks, Chris.